Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. You are listening to the Tuesday, December 19th edition of Rotoviz Radio. I'm Packerain on Twitter at Packerain. And with me is Sean Siegel on Twitter at FF underscore contrarian. Sean, great to have you on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to today's show. We have Brian Malone. And for those of you who aren't familiar with him, Brian is, is one of my very favorite authors. Every time he writes something for us, and and he often writes our news pieces, which you know can be three, four hundred words long, but even at that length, he always brings some little bit of insight. And then we're going to ask him today about three or four articles he wrote this offseason that were, I don't think controversial, but they were very intriguing and brought up some important questions for fantasy football owners. And now that we've had another season to look at them and see sort of what the ramifications are, it'll be interesting to hear what Brian has to say. Yeah, Brian's an interesting writer because he can um, you know, bang out these quick hit pieces, um, just kind of uh, blurry type articles where he's just capturing the news and, and kind of a quick note on what might be the actual intel from that that he you know he tends to do during, during the offseason but then he can also put together some really great more long-form pieces like you're mentioning and we get into a couple of those with brian um but sean wanted to get into a couple notes uh on the past uh you know couple weeks of, of nfl action with you here we haven't had kind of an extended intro set uh section here in a bit um before we do that did just want to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. That subscription will give you unlimited access to all of our NFL content, and it'll also help support the podcast. Uh, you can also help support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz channel on iTunes. Two choices there, the Rotoviz Radio channel or the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show, which will get you this show and, and a more pared-down list. Um, Rotoviz Radio channel will get you the all the all the podcasts so uh your choice there and then you can always contact us on twitter at rotavis radio or via email at rotavis radio at gmail.com uh definitely a great time to sign up for rotavis as we have uh the uh some bowl game previews coming out we're really going to be starting which kind of marks like those bowl game previews kind of mark the prospect evaluation period uh at rotavis which I mean, personally, it's kind of like my favorite part of, of the year as a Rotoviz reader, just because I don't tend to watch a lot of college football. Um, 
And so this is like when I basically begin my study time for my dynasty leagues and my rookie drafts, um, kind of diving into all the guys who do keep track of the college season and I get all their insights um, starting in just a, you know a few days here, really. So uh, anyway, Sean, wanted to uh, get into some notes here with you. Um, let's start with Todd Gurley. Just had just a ridiculous fantasy day four touchdowns just I mean absolutely crushed uh I guess someone told him it was the fantasy playoffs (laughs) but uh you know last year he had finished dead last in rotodocs uh yards over carry by expectation um a rotodocs look at that uh and then you know on Sunday as uh as I mentioned huge day uh, you told me, you know, he he's kind of destroying your team. I had him on a, a high stakes dynasty league that I'm in, and where it's it's much it's not quite as high stakes as like the FFPC format, but it's the same deal where you get the the weekly score and then your 14, 15, and 16 weeks all added together. So my my week uh, <laughs> my week 15 was a was a keeper with Todd Gurley. Um, uh, also some other I you know I picked up Nick Foles and started him. So it was a good, it was a good week for me with with Todd leading the way. Um, but what should we take from, you know, his massive efficiency this week and really this whole season, plus his massive inefficiency last year? Um, is this just that running back efficiency is random? Is this a coaching thing? Uh, what do you what do you make of all this, Sean? Yeah, well, I was on the mailbag last week. And anybody who doesn't listen to the mailbag, the mailbag is great. Uh, Jeremy does an amazing job with the questions. We talked a little bit about movie within a movie. And I mentioned these uh, historical fiction slash dragon books that I'm reading, which obviously that's that's something of a unique genre there. Uh, but he asked for, for a bold prediction. And I am playing uh, in an FFC finals goes 14 to 16, like you were saying. Um, and Melvin Gordon is is sort of my running back star, and I'm playing against Todd Gurley. And so I I predicted that Gordon would have a five touchdown game. That obviously did not go well. Not so much because Gordon didn't perform, because he had an excellent game against the Chiefs. Really, the only player who who shut up for them on Saturday night. But Gurley was the one with the absolute massive game. Five touchdowns would have been, I think, an under. Uh, undershooting what he would have done if the Seahawks could have stayed competitive, right? Because he basically was held out for the entire fourth quarter. Um, I know f- frequent readers, I they're familiar with my, my Sunday plan uh, because I sort of vacillate back and forth between eating and then trying to exercise. I do like this eight mile workout, uh, while I watch the early round of games. So I got that in on the treadmill, a lot of fast forwarding. Somehow the games didn't seem to have a lot of action. And so I, I managed to do like five games in the course of that time and then went to lunch. And I'm thinking, okay, as long as Jimmy, uh, <laughs> as long as Russell Wilson can hang with uh, Todd Gurley, doesn't give back too many points, then I'll be fine. Which obviously that that is not, what happened at all came back from lunch watched that game um you would have needed about three russell wilson's i think oh yes just plummeting throughout there gave back i I was up by like 70 points when i went to when i went to lunch and between Gurley and a few other things uh, that that disappeared in a hurry so yeah the todd Gurley has been fantastic and the rams have been fantastic and i think it brings up a lot of interesting questions about football because so much of the way that we talk about football tends to be circular where we say, okay, the, the offense is really based on what the quarterback does and the running back value is based on the offense. And then the quarterback is based on if they have these star wide receivers and a really strong offensive line. And then, you know, if they're put into a good position by the defense in we see that and it's tricky and it's one of the great things about football because so often I think we get down to where it's only about the quarterback and then we have some examples from this season where obviously the full roster comes into play a great deal and that's pretty interesting when you look at the difference between what we're seeing in San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo has obviously given them a boost but 
the 49ers were in a very different place than the Cleveland Browns were, for example, before they inserted him. Uh, we can look at a couple other teams like the Jaguars. I don't think Blake Bortles is having uh, is turned into a star just because the Jaguars have played well. In fact, Clowney made the uh, kind of um, difficult or controversial uh, insinuation or assertion after the game that the Bortles was not any good, which is difficult when you've thrown for this huge number of yards, you've turned uh, Keelan Cole into a superstar against your defense. Uh, We're seeing teams like the Eagles this past week with Nick Foles. We've got the Vikings with Case Keenum. Teams that have people who I don't think can be considered stars who are doing quite well. So that brings us back to this whole organizational situation and the football is really about building the organization which is what we've seen with the new england patriots for so many years and in fact uh when tom brady missed a big chunk you know they they were 11 and 5 with matt castle so obviously Gurley has benefited in a massive way from the change that we've seen with the rams Let's look at this through the lens of, of maybe a different team, a team that we talk about quite a bit. There are reports this afternoon that the Titans would like to go uh, no huddle a little bit more, that their offense worked better when Mariota had more control. The Titans still have a winning record because they have a lot of good players because they have Mariota, but they look bad right now. Where should we put the blame in Tennessee and what can they do to uh, sort of right the ship maybe before it's too late for this season or should fans be hoping that they just collapse so we get entirely new leadership in place that one yeah i I mean i have uh mariota in like the league that i was mentioning where i pick up nick Foles. that's because i have mariota and i was like i'm like sick of this like i'm not i'd rather play nick Foles in his first start than ride with mariota uh for another week so i just want to see new coaching staff in place i want to see um someone kind of try to unlock what Mariota's talents are rather than trying to unlock this running game that, you know, for whatever reason, they just do not seem to be able to do that. So, um, you know, it's, it's just been frustrating with Mariota this season. Cause it just seems like he hasn't really developed. Um, he's still, you know, he's still got a more interceptions and touchdowns on the year, 12 to 14. Um, so even kind of the, like last year, you know, and and the year before, even it's like, well, he's a little conservative, but you know, this year he's not even kind of pulling that off. Um, and his fantasy production has suffered, uh, from where it was in either of his first two years. So, um, I don't think that this coaching staff has really been able to pivot off of what they wanted to do, uh, at the beginning of the season, they haven't been able to kind of execute on what they, the plan for the team was, which is to be more similar to the Jaguars, you know, than that kind of mold, and there's no plan B here. Um, so I'd like to, I'd love for them to bring in someone a little bit more creative efficiently, uh, offensively. We talked about this some um, with ADHD a couple of weeks ago. What do you think the key is when you're interviewing, you're going through, you're putting your plan together, trying to hire a head coach. We've seen Sean McVay just you know, perform miracles with the Rams. And they've had a couple of of poor poor performances, but when they've had those, I mean, they've just responded uh, by destroying their opponents the next week, really bouncing back in a big way. We've also seen Kyle Shanahan, uh, I think already establish that the 49ers are going to come out of this dark place that they're in. Obviously, you know, they're not a, a dominating playoff team like the Rams, but they're making a lot of progress and you contrast that with some of the older coaches. You know, we've talked been talking about Malarkey. Obviously, Hugh Jackson does not seem like the answer uh, in Cleveland. Certainly, seems like the next person who who needs to go. John Fox in Chicago, but it's not as simple as just hiring a young coach. Obviously, Josh McDaniels didn't work out in Denver. So, beyond just going young, what are you looking for in a head coach? Well, I do think that like Josh McDaniels would be the type of you know, coach I'd be looking for. Obviously, he was kind of a little green, and I think, uh, you know, maybe need to check his ego a bit, given kind of how that went. But, I mean, a young doesn't have to be young, as you mentioned. But like, I want someone who is really smart at understanding football, and specifically, I would prefer 
it be on the offensive side of the ball just because I think that is the more valuable side in today's game. So I'd want a, re- a real skilled uh, X's and O's guy and who's who's willing to innovate, you know, can innovate, um, which is going to be correlated with youth, I think. And also I'd be, you know, like I'd, I'd probably place like almost little to no value on um, kind of how impressive they are in the interview from like a personality standpoint. Like I remember Mike Zimmer, you know, just like, apparently bombing his interviews and never getting his head coaching jobs because uh, he's like just kind of a gruff like not really tactful guy in that in that way and so um I think like I'd want I would want a coach to come in and tell me like what was wrong with my roster like what were we we were doing wrong the year before like how you know you would have beaten this team the previous year and that type of thing and honesty and kind of breaking down what's currently wrong with the team and needs to be fixed rather than someone who can, you know, kind of sell you that they, Oh, you're so close. You just need this little thing that I can offer. Um, that's kind of what I would be looking for. But I think the biggest thing for me would just be skill in terms of, uh, creating and, and, uh, executing an offense. And, um, you know, I think one thing that if you look at the difference between like McVeigh and McDaniels, I do think some of that is ego where McVeigh, you know, he brings in Wade Phillips as, as his uh, defensive coordinator. That shows, I think, confidence without arrogance because you're bringing in a guy who himself was a former head coach, one of the most well-regarded uh, defensive coordinators in history, someone that could completely overshadow you. Uh, you know, you might be worried about that if you're kind of concerned about your own reputation over uh, how your football team was going to do. And for McVeigh to basically lock him down it was like one of the first things he did I thought that was awesome to see and it's really paid off and you know McVeigh's been so impressive that it's only kind of added to uh, our esteem of, of McVeigh rather than detracted from it yeah and I think that one of the most impressive things with the young coaches or with any coach Mike Zimmer again is another example of the fact that the coach doesn't have to be young it has to be he needs to be the right fit for the team but this contrast between believing so much in your system versus maximizing the skills that the players have. One of the things that we've seen a lot in Cleveland, especially recently, but really from the get-go, is this blaming of the players when things don't go right, as opposed to going in and maximize the performance that you get. And I have to admit, that's one of the concerns I had with Kyle Shanahan, where with some of the young quarterbacks he was settled with in the past, both in Washington and in Cleveland, he seemed to be doing some undermining and blaming the quarterback play there when things weren't working out. Even though they've shuffled quarterbacks this season in San Francisco, it's been a very different dynamic where they move from signal caller to signal caller, but there was a confidence and there was an attempt to maximize the strength of the players in that offense throughout the entire process. And they played fast. And I can't you know, say how much I, I value that. You've got this team that's losing, that's not particularly good anywhere. And you say, well, this is the first season. The thing that we want to do is try and avoid embarrassment. So how do we do that? Well, we minimize the number of plays in a game and hope that some turnovers lead to some success and just minimize the gap of the blowout. Well, the 49ers have done the exact opposite. They've said, you know, we're going to practice fast. We're going to play fast we're going to execute what we do and not worry about what the final score is. And we actually think we can win and the tide has turned for them and they are winning. And, uh, you know, I, I think that you could see the seeds of that in their desire to play the way they want to play, as opposed to uh, th- this idea of, Oh, we haven't lost by as much, which seems certainly to be more of what they've done in Chicago. What are your thoughts right now on Garoppolo in terms of, um, I guess like his value in, in fantasy, but I'm just more uh, curious about like, what do you think that offense can be under Garoppolo, you know, assuming they're going to be bringing in some additional weapons, um, probably at wide receiver and running back since I believe Hyde uh, is a free agent after the year. Well, he's looked fantastic. And I think that at this point you have to really believe in what they're doing on offense. Marquise Goodwin has emerged 
obviously they they'll try to add some talent but you know we've gone in a fairly short period of time where uh, on one of my main teams you know i have this choice between amari cooper and sammy Watkins and marquise goodwin for a key starting lineup spot and a month ago it would be absurd to think that that was a choice and certainly that goodwin would be the clear choice but that that's where we are now i mean you would you would never go into week 16 um, in in 2017 and play sammy Watkins or amari cooper if he's healthy as opposed to goodwin because you know the the value of the targets goodwin is getting and the value of the execution that we're seeing now from them has been very strong this type of offense saw Matt Schaub finish as a top five QB with Houston uh, several years back. I think that there's always the potential that Shanahan builds an offense where you have multiple elite backs um, like what he had in Atlanta and that that sucks a little bit of the value away from the quarterback position. But I, I think unless something like that happens, which I think, again, is something that highlights how year to year things are very difficult to predict and not that you shouldn't try to predict with the best accuracy that you can, but that you want to understand what the scenarios are for different teams and draft with an understanding of how those scenarios create different types of ceilings. And certainly if you own Garoppolo right now in Dynasty, you're very excited for 2018. And that's, you know, that looks like an offense that is going to create a lot of value for owners going forward. Let's talk about a couple of these quarterbacks um, who are, you know, surprising us as well. Um, Case Keenum and uh, and Nick Foles. Uh, like, what do you what do you make of uh, both the Vikings and the Eagles' playoff chances with these quarterbacks who, you know, are, are guys? If you told us in the beginning of the year we're going to be starting on playoff teams. We've been like, Oh, okay, great. Like how much can I bet against their, you know, on their opponents? Um, this is, it's kind of nuts that, you know, not only are they going to be betting, not only are they going to be, uh, we're going to be betting, not them. Uh, not only are, are they, these guys going to be starting in, in playoff teams, they're going to be favored in those games. So, um, how deep do you think the Vikings and the Eagles can go uh, on their respective playoff runs? I think they can go a long way. And I think this illustrates the value of having a good veteran backup quarterback. You see a lot of the teams selecting young players and developmental players to be their backup quarterback or to be their third string quarterback. And that's a difficult approach in the contemporary NFL where you need those roster spots. So a lot of the teams will only keep two quarterbacks. But when you have that injury, it, it just completely destroys your season if you don't have someone who has some experience as a backup. We've seen that with Houston. <laughs> Denver has has tried to shuffle a variety of quarterbacks who either have very little experience or have a track record showing they can't play. The interesting thing, I think, with Foles and with Keenum is that we've seen – very different types of performances uh, based on the type of team that's, that surrounds them. And there probably were some occasions where you could look at their performance and say, well, these guys are not good enough for the NFL. And, and even now, I don't think their, their teams are necessarily looking at them with excitement saying, you know, this is the, the quarterback of the future. Certainly in Philadelphia, that's not the case. Uh, but within the context of what those teams do now, they can be very, very good players. And I, I think that speaks to what uh, the fantasy douche always like to talk about, what uh, some other uh, Rotoviz writers have have spilled a lot of words on, people like Kevin Cole and Ben Gretsch. I mean, they've written a lot of tremendous um, – oh, there's several tremendous pieces talking about how you want to build a team and then insert the quarterback into that team. And, and anytime you can get a quarterback, you want to get that quarterback. You don't necessarily wait or force yourself to wait. But this shows the value of, of the entire franchise and not making everything about that quarterback bet, which is interesting within the context of what Cleveland's done because the now-fired brain trust said, you know, we want to build this team. And uh, because of some other things that happened uh, they weren't allowed to to continue doing that. So I would put that back to you. You said that you're playing Foles on one of your key teams. Obviously, those of us at Rotoviz are pretty invested in Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. How far do you see these teams going? Are are they competitors to uh, to make the Super Bowl out of the NFC? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing about Foles is, uh, you know, I I read that you know they were basically doing the same types of calls with Foles there. They were being aggressive with Foles uh, when he had come in, and um, I, my my feeling on Foles was that given you know a really good situation that he could come in and and look good um and at least produce for fantasy so um that's kind of what led me to pick up and start Foles last week and um but in terms of how deep they can go I mean I think they can go pretty deep it's it's tough especially with Case Keenum at this point it's tough to like really bet against him because he's Case Keenum because he's been he's been good and he's had a strong connection with Adam Thielen um less so this past week but uh, Diggs finally got in the end zone, uh, which was nice to see. So, and the offense overall was just fine. Uh, the team, uh, you know, did great. So I think, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's like before the season, if I, you know, saw Case Keenum in a playoff game, it'd be like, Oh boy. Like, you know, he's, this is gonna, <laughs> this is gonna be bad, but it's hard to feel that way. And then with Foles, I think, I think it's, you know, the wheels could come off, um, Certainly, they have before, and uh, we don't know. You know, we don't we don't have the sample size here over this season to see how he'll do in this particular offense. But that line's good, and they have weapons around him. Um, you know, and they'll be in in prime position in terms of seeding. So, you know, it's it is tough to think. You know, about them winning the Super Bowl with Foles. I think it's tough to to think Case Keenum is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. But certainly to get to the Super Bowl, I, I think is um, I, I don't really see that at this point of being like a crazy thing. Okay, before I bring Brian in, I know that you had had one thing you you really wanted to talk about. You brought it before the show, so let me ask you: after another week in which we had a bunch of bizarre overrules, and then call stands in situations where we had clear evidence that they had made the incorrect decision. Uh, narrowing it down to one specific instance where the NFL seems to really be struggling on, on how to use their replay. So my question for you is right now, what is less popular, the congressional tax plan or the NFL catch rule? <laughs> um, well, I don't know. And maybe that shows you kind of the state of where things are. Because uh, the catch rule this week had had quite the showing. I mean, I think specifically uh, what I wanted to talk about was the the bird catch, um, <laughs> which, which in the Senate there's something called the bird rule. So I guess it's appropriate that you brought that up. But uh, the bird catch on um, on, on Sunday with uh, birds. What's bird's first name? I don't even know. Hit uh, his his ass hit one cheek in and to me looks like the second cheek hit out uh i am watching a gif here may maybe it's tough because it's it's uh it's like the black of his pants on the black but anyway it, it doesn't look to me like the second cheek was in bounds so i was i was asking you before the show like is our cheeks like knees our butt cheeks you know one butt cheek is two feet or do you have to get your whole ass in bounds i thought there was a whole ass but it appears that it's just one cheek. Um, and then on the flip side of this, you've got Pittsburgh, uh, you know, losing the, their game with the Patriots on was like a catch for like what felt like five seconds of real time. But then at the end, he like bobbled it slightly with his hands and it may have touched the ground. I don't even think you can conclusively say it did because his hand could have been under it the whole time. And it's definitely not a catch overturns the call on the field. And this bird call overturned the call on the field, too. But I guess that's due to the the one cheek rule. I, I don't know, Sean. What do you think about all this? Well, I, so you're 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 claiming that both calls were correct, and despite the indisputable language, they were both incorrectly overturned. Yeah, I think I think that both calls should not like have been overturned. Like I feel like we should we've been better off. If we just went with what was called on the field. I don't think that there's anything conclusive about. I, now I'm on my hundredth take of watching Bird uh, ass hit the ground here. I still don't. I'm still not convinced. And so, uh, if I'm not convinced after hundred takes of Bird's butt hitting the ground, then like what? what well, let me ask you: here? Do you have? Did you have any um, 
any personal stake in this because when I watch the plays, I find that uh, no. whether or not I want them to be overturned, it, as much as I try and be objective, that my fantasy interests come into play. No, I didn't. I okay. didn't. I just, yeah, I mean, like, I kind of tend to root against the Patriots just because they're the Patriots. But, and it was just like, it was kind of fun how to see how quickly the Steelers had come down the field and scored in like two plays. So, um, I, and and also like frankly the Patriots had two timeouts and 35 seconds on the clock and so I was kind of pumped to see like all right I know the Patriots aren't going to be able to score here but like what if they do like this would be amazing so I, just as a football fan I was like really excited to see the Patriots retake the field with like 30 seconds after the kickoff and two timeouts and see you know if, if we could even have a crazier finish it felt like they were just trying to one-up each other and once that call was overturned and I think despite me my my jokes here about the bird catch i actually think that one was the more egregious one to overturn because you couldn't really see where his hand was on if it was under the ball or not um so to have that overturn it just felt like it took the air out of the game and then uh you know roethlisberger ends up throwing that interception they can't even take it to overtime so that was the one that bummed me out but it, it bummed me out as a football fan Yes, definitely. Well, and I'll tell you who else is disappointed or or still frustrated, doesn't understand the rule. We have Calvin Johnson on the line, and he is asking just hypothetically, if if Matthew Stafford and the Lions are on the one yard line, and like their own one, and he throws a pass to Calvin, and he runs ninety nine yards, and then at the goal line, you know, a defender has the angle on him, he leaps out and stretches the ball across the plane, then then that ball comes free clearly after he's crossed, right? Now, does running 99 yards and or stretching the ball across the goal line, do either one of those count as football plays, or is that incomplete because he did not retain possession as he went to the ground? Right, yeah. What is this whole going to the ground thing? Like, if you – what was the play? The Packers lost – Right, because I forget the receiver now, but the who was it? The Packers lost because the receiver caught the ball and then it got stripped within like it felt you know, like a sec it was boom boom, like one foot, two foot balls out, right? It's like as the second foot's hitting, and that's clearly a fumble according to, you know, the review. But if he had just fallen as he was, as that all happened, then it would have been, you know, it would have been an incomplete cat, uh, pass because he lost going to the ground, right? Or like, I don't even know because who knows? Who knows how this rule works? It's crazy. Okay, so there was another play. Did you did you watch the 49ers, uh, the portion where uh, Garoppolo underthrew Goodwin by a good four or five yards? The defender goes up, makes a very nice play on the ball, and then Goodwin, understanding the rules and making a great effort, which is always nice to see from the receivers when, when the ball is not perfectly thrown. He comes back, goes over the top, grabs the ball. They go to the ground together, which you have that. Uh, dual possession goes to the offense, but also clearly as they're on the ground or or within the first second or so at, after they hit, Goodwin loses the ball, defender has the ball, then you know Goodwin gets back in and they have the scrum for it, and again you've got the the dual possession. So <laughs> obviously in that case the the call stood, uh, which was probably the political thing to do there, but. In a dual possession scenario, perhaps the rules are different and you do not have to retain possession when the ball hits the ground. And or in no that situation. Knows. Yeah. No one knows, well, Sean. They're just making it up. <laughs> I mean, in, in a situation where both players are on the ground and the ball never hits the ground, but it's going back and forth between players. I mean, you have clear problems with the rules where they don't make sense. And But shouldn't the ground in that case be equivalent to the other player? Like if the if the receiver's going to the whatever and then loses the ball into that whatever you're sent essentially saying the ball belongs to the ground or the ball should belong to the guy who was between the receiver and the ground when the receiver lost control of the ball because you're saying the, the receiver must maintain control of the ball as he goes down he lost control to another player and then afterwards retained retained possession from that player but that the play then the it's too late the defender has has caught the ball and he's already on the ground. So all you're doing is da- is uh you know touching him down. 
Right? Well, one of the problems... No, of course I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, one of the problems is the rule doesn't make sense, and it's very difficult to explain to someone else how it would work. And when the officiating experts are on TV trying to explain it, they often give explanations uh, that contradict what the other rule expert on a different channel is saying at the same time and making different sorts of very fine um, determinations between you know, what going to the ground is, if the defensive player making contact makes any difference, you know, how many steps you have um, and, and what a football move is. And so, I mean, again, as, as Megatron would tell you, you know, he, he's had a ton of, of touchdowns overturned, which were very clear. If a receiver catches the ball, runs three or four yards, lunges for the goal line and gets that ball across the goal line, that's a touchdown. And for the NFL to, to consistently want to insist that by the definition of the rule that they're making the correct calls, that, that just doesn't work for anybody. No, it doesn't work at all. And it's like, why are you trying to take away really great plays? I guess this bird one is is me trying to take it away, but it's like, fine, have your bird butt catch. Just give us all the other ones that you've taken away over the years. You know, stop ruining amazing football plays. Um, and on that note, let's bring on Brian Malone, uh, who you can follow on Twitter at Brian Malone FF. Uh, he's a writer for Rotoviz, Dynasty League Football, uh, and he's part of the Dynasty Command Slack group, uh, which is a, a kind of a cool new thing that's that's popped up. So uh, let's bring on Brian after this quick break. Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try my new favorite app, Draft. Here's how it works. You do a draft that lasts for just one week, and there's no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of last-minute injuries for you. Drafts start every couple minutes, so you could join one right now. And the best part? You play for cold, hard cash. Drafts start from just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. There's no salary caps, so you play in real-life snake drafts, just like you would with your friends in a season-long league. So come in, join me, draft against me on Draft Today. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on PlayDraft.com, whatever you want. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code RVRADIO. That's right. Play a real money game for free just for using my promo code RVRADIO on your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to PlayDraft.com and come play free with promo code RVRADIO. Please welcome the show, Brian Malone. You can follow him on Twitter at BrianMaloneFF. He's a writer for Rotoviz, DLF, and you can find him on the Dynasty Command Slack channel. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. How's everything going? It's going great. Um, wanted to start by uh, diving into um, rookie running back value. Uh, you wrote a really cool piece on rookie running backs and um, kind of highlighting that they may be undervalued because they're going to have a much larger impact in the playoffs than they tend to have just in the regular season. This year, I think, is a great example of that uh, where we have Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, and Christian, McCa- Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette all in the top 10, uh, three, four, eight, and nine, respectively. Um, and uh, Kamara, Hunt, McCaffrey all turning in huge performances here in a semifinal week. Uh, I also wrote about this this offseason how rookies in Dynasty um, are a good bet, really the only good bet uh, if you just look at year by year to increase in trade value uh, from season to season. So, you know, there is a lot of literature out there suggesting that young players are overvalued in dynasty but there are some counter arguments you you and i have basically made some of the counter arguments uh could you talk a little bit about uh your article on rookie running backs and the value of young players in general yeah so with the rookie running backs from a redraft perspective i think i was at least for this season a little bit right for the wrong reasons it just turns out that this crop of rookies is very very good um and they've been productive all season Now, you still get a little bit like Kamara wasn't quite as productive at the beginning of the year until Peterson left, and they really opened up things for him. And McCaffrey, I think, has taken on a little bit uh, bigger role late in the season. 
So you're still getting a little bit of that improved production later. But I think it's also just a reminder of, you know, historical analysis is useful, but we're always dealing with small samples and the game is changing both uh, fantasy football and the NFL. So, you know, it may just be that this is an amazing class of running backs and it's a blip or it may, you know, be an indication that rookie running backs, while they struggled for the last eight or 10 years on average, that was actually just a small sample issue and they are just as good of redraft values as anybody else. Brian, you and I are playing in a dynasty league that Ben Gretsch has put together, basically a dynasty best ball. And you wrote one of my favorite articles this offseason. It was talking about your startup approach uh, that you've labeled the fake punt, or maybe in this case, the extreme fake punt. Basically, you trade back and trade out of the startup. And in this particular instance, you're, you're absolutely loaded for the future with five 2018 firsts in addition to your own pick for next year. Tell us a little bit more about the extreme fake punt, and do you like where your roster is heading here? Yeah, so so it started with fake punt is just drafting a bunch of young guys early and then loading up on veterans late and trying to compete in year one while still having that kind of baseline of value. And then this was just taking it a step further by I didn't make any picks in the first three rounds of the startup. I kept trading back, acquiring first, and then once I started making picks, I drafted probably a little bit lean, uh, lean towards win now. Um, though I did not win now, I finished, I think, eighth or something in the league, which was not great, uh, mostly because all my picks were awful. But I, So I don't actually love where I am with that team, but I feel good enough given that I got six first-round picks. I just I couldn't quite tank or I couldn't quite manage my roster the way I would have liked to because there's no in-season management. So in a typical league, after I had done that, if I had seen how the first few weeks were going to play out, I would have traded away those veterans for either, you know, more picks or for younger players. Instead, I got stuck with a lot of moderately productive vets, and you know, I couldn't I couldn't stink worse than Denny Carter, um, who wasn't fake punting. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't really just a shot at Denny. There's a couple, you know, it's it's <laughs> the, the the premise of this league was, or the premise of my approach was, these are all really smart people it's going to be a lot of just randomness on who finishes where in the first season. So I wanted to build myself up to have the best shot going forward and still, you know, throw my, throw my lot in with everybody else, even though I figured I'd have a little bit worse chance given that I traded away those early picks. Was Denny punting or did you, did he just have a bad season? I think he had a bad season, but he also went pretty, pretty youth heavy. I mean, he took, and you know, he's having fun, right? So like um, he took Martavis in the second round uh, which was a bold pick. And I think he didn't hew close to ADP because, you know, he was in this league to have fun. He wasn't too worried about it. And so, you know, that's a, that's a great approach. And if he had won, he would have felt, you know, even better than if, you know, somebody else had won maybe because he went with his guy in almost every round, it seemed. I'm curious on your, um, you know, something you just brought up there uh, with best ball dynasty versus, you know, kind of more standard dynasty where you're managing your roster throughout the season. Like, and the fact that you weren't able to pivot like that, does that um, or should that kind of factor in uh, to that format where you're uh, because you're not going to have as much control, like trying to sort of go pure win now, knowing you're not going to be able to add like veterans for a playoff push, for example, or on the other side, as you mentioned, you know, you're not going to be able to sell off if you, uh, you know, if you kind of go in for this year and realize it's not happening. Is that? factor in it all uh, as you're planning ahead for for a year in best ball dynasty as opposed to standard dynasty yeah i think it should um i you know if i if i could change anything now it would have, i would have leaned harder towards the you know punt year one because it seemed like at least eight or nine of the teams in the league were going win year one and if you can if you can gain a lot of value going forward, uh, starting year two forward in a league like that, I think you put yourself in a good position. So I probably should have done that, but I I got a little too cute and um, a little too enamored of my own strategy, probably. So I was taking guys uh, ahead of you know instead of just drafting rookies who all skyrocketed in value and were all pretty productive. I was stuck with guys like Willie Sneed and Dante Moncrief, thinking, well, I can get some get some juice out of them and still have young guys going forward. Brian, I wasn't able to get in on any of these blockbuster trades with you. I don't have my first round pick, but I think I, I traded it to someone else. When I saw that you were getting all of this 
uh, great draft value for the future. Uh, stocking up to to really build, you know, maybe an, an unstoppable juggernaut, say year three, four, or five. I wanted to also differentiate my strategy or do something that would be a little bit different. And since you really had monopolized those picks, the way that I tried to do it was by moving up sort of in the middle rounds and making a bunch of little trades. And I, I think I traded a bunch of my second, third round picks to you. Uh, and trying to push all 30 of my players into the first 24 or so rounds, which doesn't necessarily seem like a big deal, I don't think. But uh, obviously the value falls off all the way through. But after about round 24, it seemed like uh, the value was essentially zero. Not that there aren't guys who are emerging from that group, obviously. You know, you see players like Keelan Cole have a huge weekend uh, this weekend. Certainly you'd love to have, have those guys on your best ball team. But by doing that... Uh, I was able to essentially get like six extra guys, even if those guys are people like Latavius Murray and Chris Ivory, who at the time of the draft, obviously those are not super exciting picks. You know, you're kind of uh, almost uh, not looking forward to your selection when you when you get on the clock and, and know you're going to make that pick. Uh, but that also worked out pretty well. And, and you know, obviously a lot of luck with, with the best ball. But, um, you know, hopefully I'm going to be here in the finals next week. And, being able to work with you and your strategy allowed me to do that. Do you think there is too much emphasis, uh, both in Dynasty but also in Redraft, on winning trades as opposed to figuring out who in your group, like the both of you can make a trade that would uh, really separate yourselves to where one team is going to win now, maybe one team is going to win the future, but both parties to the trade really benefit compared to the other 10 players? Yeah, so I think it's easier in Dynasty, right? So one of the things, you know, at Dynasty Commander, anytime anybody comes to me for advice, they say, you know, what do you think about trying to go out and acquire such and such player, LaShawn McCoy, for example? And I say, well, what kind of team is he on? Because I'm never targeting a specific, well, I'm very rarely targeting a specific player. What I'm targeting is a team who's in the opposite situation from me. So if they're if they find themselves out of contention in week four, then I'm going after all of their veterans who they think are going to lose value going into next offseason. Or if I find myself out of contention in week four, then I'm doing the reverse. And I don't do much trading if I'm a contender with other contenders, and I don't do much trading with, you know, other builders if I'm building. And yeah, there's so, you know, I'm still trying to win trades, but I'm also trying to develop a good relationship with somebody because I know, you know, we're going to find ourselves in the same situation again next season, or maybe we'll be flip-flopped and I want to have good relationships that I can go back to the well and improve both of our teams at the same time. Well, while everybody else is standing still, not adding depth if they're contending or struggling to offload those veterans if they're building. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I feel like sometimes the, that can be true in redraft as well, where, you know, you can look positionally and it's what I'm doing is I'm not saying like, who do I want to buy? It's like, who would be able to buy or be interested in buying what I can move off my team or what I'm looking to move off my team. And it's definitely true in dynasty. Um, I think like you just said with um, contenders versus non-contenders, but positionally, I think it factors in a lot there too. So I'm, when I'm looking to make a move, I almost sort of decide like what type of player do I need to get whether that's you know an aging running back that can give me production now or like a young wide receiver or whatever it is and then figure out like what I can move to acquire that and then I'll go look through the league's teams to see like who would be like a good fit for the starting point because I think you know one part about dynasty that's really frustrating is getting these like random trades that just make no sense for your team and I I think you can by not sending out those offers and by at least sending offers that has the person go, okay, like hey, this is on the right track, then uh, you can start to develop that relationship that you're talking about. Yeah. And one thing I do, you know, if it, when it gets to the middle point of the season, when everybody's starting to self sort and before a bunch of trades have gone down, if I'm, you know, say I think I'm out of it this year. So I start looking at the guys on my roster who are producing now, you know, make a list of three, four or five, and I just go straight to the league standing pages and click on each roster and say, okay, where, you know, where can I help this team out? Where can I help this team out? And I'm not so worried about targeting one of their players. It's, you know, what kind of, you know, what kind of help can I give them? And then looking for something of equivalent value, 
you know, either future picks or productive players, depending on the situation. Are there ever any situations where a team that's rebuilding should actually look at it in a little bit of an unusual fashion in that I see a lot of these teams that are out of it who maybe have an Alvin Kamara or have a Christian McCaffrey, but that's all they have. And they're trying to sell their veterans, but their veterans really don't, they're replacement value types of players. And so you'd have to find a very specific roster situation where someone was almost forced to be taking a zero in order for that player to have value really to anyone in the league. And then when they do sell it, they get so little that it's not going to help rebuild very quickly. Would you sell a star if you need a lot in the future? And maybe even for some veterans who might be undervalued. Yeah. Well, the first person I'm looking to sell. uh, So, you know, if I've got Kamara right now and the trade deadlines open, or if I have Kamara three weeks ago, I'm looking to acquire Odell Beckham. You know, if I'll probably have to add to Kamara, of course, but you know, I'm looking to make a big deal, get one for one value, but with somebody who's not helping right now, or, you know, Dalvin cook plus, Allen Robinson, you know, even if I have to chip in a little bit extra, those are the, I mean, that's when you've got us, when you have a young stud and you're building by trading that guy away for someone equivalent, who's injured and out for the season, you're doing a couple things. One, you're probably getting a little bit of extra value going into 2018, even assuming things continue as planned because, you know, your trade partner is getting that value in 2017 and two, you're offloading risk, right? So Odell Beckham's value is not going down in the next six months, probably. Um, Kamara's could, right? You know, if he tears his ACL tomorrow, his his price suddenly drops significantly. Or if he becomes a, you know, if he starts fumbling the ball all over and has a, you know, Chuck Knobloch type scenario, I know that's unlikely. I think the ACL is the more likely situation, but you're offloading that risk. You're getting a bigger player. You know, one of the the moves I made this season in a building team was... I had Odell Beckham. Um, as soon as David Johnson went down, I traded Beckham for Johnson plus plus. And then, you know, three weeks later, Odell Beckham goes down and I get the plus and we both have one stud. So offloading that risk is kind of the secret value there instead of and and you're getting, you know, a little you're getting that plus plus for the season where you might be competing. That kind of takes us into another question. You wrote a uh, just another tremendous piece this preseason where you talked about when and whether owners should go with their gut in fantasy now obviously at rotoviz we turn out a a huge volume of analytically based articles but i often find that maybe elite analysts overall who haven't played a particular format will draw conclusions that someone who has a lot of experience in that format will know you know that that conclusion is not quite correct and having experience in all these different formats is is a big advantage something you want to develop over time Uh, you pointed out in that piece that we know instinct can be analytical thinking in some situations and so i wanted to ask you with another season now in the bank uh, how do you balance intuition and analysis going forward i think so when it comes to player evaluation i'm not expert enough to use my intuition so I'm relying heavily on, you know, consensus values and, you know, I'll, I'll do some historical performance analysis. Um, Jacob Rickerode has done, you know, those, you've seen the colored tables where he has the wide receiver one, wide receiver two, wide receiver three. I've kind of tweaked that for my own use and do stuff like that. But mostly I'm relying heavily on consensus values where I use my intuition is, you know, how do I think, um, a player's market is going to react to specific news. What do I think, you know, what's the likelihood that the Colts are going to draft a running back in the first three rounds and are people overvaluing or undervaluing that risk for Marlon Mack next season? Things like that is where my intuition really comes into play. And then when you talk about, you know, if I'm playing in a super flex league and I've played in, you know, I've played in that format for years and I understand, you know, if we tweak the scoring settings this much, you know, I think it should change these players' values by, you know, a consequential amount. And I think I trust myself and I am confident that I am going to react to those changes better than my league mates. So that's where I use my intuition. That said, if you watch a ton of football or if you watch a ton of football and run the numbers or at least familiar with the numbers and know how they work, 
then maybe your intuition is best used for you know, player evaluation and you should be relying on experts for stuff like, well, how does this scoring system affect things? And, you know, how should I value players and trades given these unusual scoring settings? Awesome. Well, um, before we let you go, we want to do some quick hits for 2018. Uh, this is dynasty focused, but, uh, with, with specific emphasis on 2018 for any players who might be, uh, poised for a breakout or, or a uh, secondary breakout. So starting here with a quartet of running backs, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, or Alvin Kamara. I'm still going Bell here. Um, you know, he's, he's, he hasn't given me any reason to fall off of him. You know, I know there's some contract uncertainty in Pittsburgh, and even if he stays, there's some Ben Roethlisberger uncertainty, but you can't pass up that workload and the uh, volume of receptions he's gotten. So I'm going to go with Bell there. Both of the Green Bay rookie running backs have looked like potential stars at points, but then have quickly fallen back sort of into a committee at other points. Who do you like, Jamal Williams or Aaron Jones? Yeah, I'm going to go with the guy that the Packers liked in the first place and the guy that seems to be getting the ball right now, and that's Jamal Williams. I think both have shown more receiving ability than I expected. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen there with that backfield of Montgomery, but maybe he'll switch back to receiver, but I'll take Williams for now. All right, let's talk uh, uh, rookie scat backs. Tariq Cohen, uh, Austin Eckler, or Matt Breida? I'm going to go with the guy who I haven't seen anything from, and that's Breida. Um, I just, Cohen, I think we've seen how they're going to use, well, no. So John Fox is gone, so he's a complete wild card. He's been explosive, um, but he just doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to get any kind of volume as a runner, and they're going to have to feed him a ton of receptions to make him worthwhile. And Eckler kind of fits the mold. At least Breida, I hold out hope that he can be uh, a runner and a receiver. Even with Jeremy McNichols breathing down his neck? Okay. (laughs) Assuming you're a competitor next season in Dynasty or you're looking for that top pick in redraft, who do you like between what I believe are the three big stars right now, Antonio Brown, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, or Odell Beckham? Yeah, I thought... You know, I haven't had to think too much about this, and I thought it was going to be Beckham all the way. It's going to be between Beckham and Hopkins for me, just because they're all close enough in redraft value that the age is going to tip the scales. I'd have a, I, you know, I'd, tw- I'd trade uh, Beckham for Hopkins in a second, and I'd trade Hopkins for Beckham in a second. But if I had to make the pick, I'm still going to go with Odell. Yeah, it's really exciting just to, you know, think about Hopkins with uh, Watson for a full season. Um, and now Odell's the one with the uncertain uncertain quarterback situation. It's kind of weird. Uh, all right, let's go to some less proven wide receivers. Robbie Anderson, Devin Funchess, and Robert Woods. Yeah, I'm going to go Funchess here. He's he's the one. I think he has the best draft pedigree of them all. They've all been surprising producers. Woods, I mean, I I can't shake the feeling that either Watkins is going to have a better season next year in, in L.A., or they're going to bring somebody on who's going to eat into his volume. Anderson is a deep threat. He's, you know, he's is what he is. I don't think he has that potential to be a fantasy wide receiver one, but I think Funchess does. Do you think for Watkins, they just like are going to write the Watkins understands the offense now piece that's going to be released in June? Like you might as well just write that right now. There's going uh, to be some fluff piece. I mean, regardless, you know, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, he's going to have, you're going to get some hype on Sammy Watkins. Now is not the time to trade him in Dynasty. How about some secondary receivers, maybe a couple of vertical guys, and then uh, Sterling Shepard, who it's still maybe unclear what type of receiver he is, uh, what his fit is at the NFL level. So Kenny Stills, Marquise Goodwin, Sterling Shepard. Yeah, Shepard, I think, is out for me just because his QB situation seems like it could only get worse. And Goodwin's tempting. Um, Yeah, I think I'm probably going to go with Stills, though, just because his you know, he's got the best chance for upside there as a, uh, with the quarterback improvement, I think Landry's, I don't think he's signed an extension. So he's a potential free agent and he's just been so good. I mean, Stills has been really good for the last two seasons and that offense seems like it can only go up. All right. Last one. Uh, some tight ends, Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, and Zach Ertz. Uh, this one's the easiest of all. I'm still going with Gronk here. He's not that much older than the other two. 
I think his injury concerns were somewhat overblown before, and the other two have shown that they're, you know, they're tight ends. They get hurt. Um, so give me Gronk, give me that touchdown upside, and you know, give me Brady until he's 45 or whenever he's going to retire. <laughs> it really might be 45. Um, all right, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. This has been fantastic. Uh, you can follow Brian on Twitter at Brian Malone FF. Brian, thanks again. Thanks, fellas. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash radio. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.